anyway, thanks to uh, our listeners for joining the second episode of the In the Neighborhood podcast. Definitely like and subscribe. Um, you know, watch our other, our first podcast too. And we're going to keep coming out with these every Monday um, at 8 p.m. So uh, stay tuned for more. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, welcome to the second episode of the In the Neighborhood podcast. Number two. With your host, Nate. And Sid. And today we are interviewing a special person for you today. That's the best. Special yeah. guest. Uh, her name is Christy. And currently she is studying osteopathic medicine. Um, and she is between her third and fourth years of medical school. So she just finished her initial rotations, and uh, currently she's taking a year to do a teaching fellowship. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you could say what you're teaching right now. Sure. So my official title is that I'm a pre-doctoral anatomy slash OMM teaching fellow, um, and that means pre-doctoral, so I'm still a student. I haven't graduated yet. Um, but I work for the anatomy department where I help with um, cadaveric dissection and demonstration. I also teach in the osteopathic manipulative medicine department, um, OMM, and we do manual therapy. Um, we teach physical exam skills. And through that, I also help a little bit with teaching like radiology and some intro to like clinical reasoning. Okay. Yeah, so I, I guess we'll get into that a little bit. So I, I guess, you know, to start off, I wanted to kind of rattle off a couple of facts about sort of like osteopathic medicine and the education. Um, because I think like uh, either probably a lot of people don't know about it, or if you're sort of like in the medical field, some people still have like a stigma for it um, towards it. So I guess I wanted to sort of give some stats as to the prevalence of osteopathic medicine and sort of maybe destigmatize it for some people because it is a growing field. And I think a lot of people in the future will either see an osteopathic medical doctor or physician in the future as like their primary care or some other uh, specialty. Um, or they, if they're in the medical field, they'll probably encounter them like daily. So um, I just want to give a few uh, stats to sort of represent that. Um, so, so currently, there are 37 accredited colleges of osteopathic medicine, and this is according to the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, or the AAM, or AACOM, um, and that's 37 uh, DO schools, basically, compared to 154 MD schools. So um, it's not a lot, but it's growing, and today, more than 25% of medical students in the United States are training to be osteopathic physicians. So it's a growing number and it just reached that 
5% threshold, I think, last year, or 2008, 2019. Uh, so it's growing. And uh, according to the AAMC, uh, which conducted a study uh, in 2018, 2019, where they surveyed basically current medical colleges to see how many students are enrolling. Um, and in 2018, 2019, uh, DO granting schools totaled 8,124 uh, first year matriculation students, uh, which is an increase of 164% uh, from the three, 1,079 students in 2002. Um, and this is compared to basically an overall increase of 31% over that same period. So you can see while both fields are growing, um, it's clear that the DO field is growing very rapidly. So I just wanted to give some of these stats so people know you'll probably be seeing a DO in the future. Um, right. That's right. So yeah, so I guess to get back into like what, you know, sort of what the difference is between sort of the allopathic, which is maybe the more traditional field, and the osteopathic, which is actually a much newer uh, field. You know, it was established in like the 1800s, right? Whereas uh, medical MD education was maybe established, in, they trace it back almost like Greek times with Hippocrates, I guess. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, for MDs to claim that maybe it's a little bit dicey, but uh, <laughs> definitely the accreditations and stuff for DO um, institutions is fairly recent. Um, so I wanted to kind of ask you, you know, what's the difference in the training? Um, and then eventually I want to get into sort of why you chose DO and what you feel like you got out of it so far. Sure. Um, but first, the difference. Yeah. So I guess if I were to broad stroke it, I would say that the difference between MDs and DOs are the philosophy and how they like perceive the patient and the patient's health. So one thing about osteopathic medicine that's really emphasized is looking at the patient as a whole person. So not just the ailment or the disease that they come in with, but things about their life or, you know, other factors that may be affecting their health. Mm. Um, and then I think another component that's really distinct is the manual medicine part of it, which I think maybe other people are maybe more familiar with. Yeah. Um, but it's basically the idea that there's certain treatments or manipulative medicine or therapy that you can do with your hands that can also encourage the patient to heal. So one of our like tenets of osteopathic medicine is that you are not just like treating whatever like disease they have or whatever like sickness they have but you're putting the patient on a path to like enable their own self-healing mechanisms um it's kind of pulled from the idea that the body wants to achieve homeostasis it wants to be in balance and it wants to be healthy and if we can encourage that um in the person itself then that's much more beneficial in the long run i see so you're talking a bit about like this uh, OMM, which mm -hmm. is like the osteopathic manipulative medicine, right? Yeah. Or uh, sometimes it's called like a treatment OMT. Um, so I guess, you know, one question I had about that. So you're like, you guys are studying basically like the same subjects, I would say, as like the MD because you guys have very similar board exams, right? Um, and then you in addition to that, you're studying this every week, right? Like, so you're kind of getting 
I don't know, maybe the yeah. best of both worlds. So I was kind of curious, do you find that anybody, have you met anybody that's entering DO school because they want to learn the OMM? Um, or do you know anybody who's sought out that type of education for that reason? Yeah, I have met fewer students who are solely doing DO for OMM, but I find that people that come to school that have already worked with the DO or that have like a DO mentor are interested in that philosophy and they've seen how it's been done in practice. Um, I think when I was applying like maybe four or five years ago at this point that from from where I'm from and like the prevalence of like DOs there weren't that very many where I you know was studying so I didn't really get that much exposure but definitely where I am now there's just a higher like prevalence of DOs around here. Yeah yeah so you find that like in institutions that are exposed to basically DOs they tend to want more kind of. Right. Yeah. I think okay. it's the familiarity. It's always like if you're unfamiliar with it, you're going to be scared of it or like have a stigma. But if you've been around people with that training or you've had like your own doctor who's been a DO, you really like most people don't even look at the letters. They just call you doctor. So. Yeah. Right. And I think like maybe uh, I, I don't have any statistics on this, actually, but I, I've heard some people do actually seek out like DO doctors now because they want the holistic approach and they want sort of like this osteopathic man manipulative medicine. Um, so maybe uh, you can talk about like sort of pa patients that may want this. I, I don't know like if there are any yeah. sort of patients that you've met that are like, oh, I really would love to have like OMM done on me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've met quite a few people that tell me you know, I don't want to take more meds than I need to. Like, I don't want to get addicted to anything or like they have chronic pain or something like that where manual medicine and treatment is like a nice adjunctive therapy to whatever they have going on already. So like maybe they have like knee pain from arthritis or whatever, um, but they want to get treatment to like provide relief in between, um, I don't know, like taking Tylenol or like an over-the-counter or if they're able to like get treatment that helps them move better and like helps their function, then it sort of like prolongs the time until they need to see like an orthopedic surgeon or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think there's a market for OMM and manual therapy for people that, you know, don't want to become reliant on meds or want to do stuff that's like proactive before getting like surgery or something like that. Um, and definitely people that are more interested in like, holistic or like naturopathic medicine, um, I think tend to like gravitate towards the idea of osteopathy because it, it lends to the idea of the body as self-healing. I see. Right. So it sounds like it's like a combination of treating with like drugs and the conventional med medical treatments as well as this um, manipulative medicine aspect where yeah. the body yeah. treats. So I like that duality of right. treatment. Like, like no DO is going to tell you to like come off your beta blocker if you have a heart condition, but they may also like provide treatment for like your back pain or right. if you're like exerting yourself a lot because, you know, I don't know, you're like not that strong or whatever. They may my friend like PT or like other stuff to help you strengthen that. So it's not a cure all, but it's just another option for people. Yeah, I uh, really like this uh, tweet that you put out. Um, I think it was last year you said you and I quote get a warm fuzzy feeling each time 
I see a patient in the clinic that I met during in, inpatient rotations. Continuity is cool. So can you just uh, expand on that a little bit? With like deep, uh, say with the deep research. Yeah, uh, that's great. You really pulled it out of there. <laughs> yeah, so it's hard, but um, yeah. Can you just like expand on that? Like, and talk about like your passion for like patient continuity and like seeing um, like your interactions with patients and why. Yeah. You I just feel like as a student, it's really satisfying to like see people over and over again and to form a relationship with them from like a doctor patient standpoint, because and I think in reference to that tweet that you found um, as a student, because I got to rotate in like multiple things throughout my third year, um, I got to jump from like unit to unit. So if I did see someone again in like another rotation, um, that was usually pretty cool because it, I think it was like something like ob and then PED. So when I was doing my OB-GYN rotation, I got to help deliver babies. And then like four weeks later, I was on outpatient pediatrics. Um, but I got to see that newborn that I helped deliver now as in, right. like a baby and got to like, ch like check up with them and follow up with them. Oh, um, the same so, one? Yeah. So like the, usually like the mom would <laughs> I remember. So. <laughs> So I don't know, it's just like, it's cool to think that like people like remember you for important moments like that or moments that are scary, like seeing people like in the hospital over and over again, if they were really, really sick. But if they remember you, that's like really special. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, going back to, I know we're jumping around a little bit. Did you develop any habits or like just for our listeners that are maybe in medical school or going to apply or whatever what kinds of habits did you develop or um things that practices or something that helped you out um during this pro during that process and even now like any yeah. anything new or any like tricks you could share i think so i think the the biggest habit that i sort of developed was just consistency I would think like probably in undergrad and like definitely like high school, I felt like I didn't have to like study very hard and I could still like do okay. And I realized from med school that like wasn't the case and I had to be very like diligent in my schedule. I would wake up like really early to go to the library and study like every weekend and like most evenings pretty late. Um, so I just found like a schedule that worked for me and I had to let go of like a lot of old habits like, um, I don't know, like not like watching like Netflix every night or something. Like there's sacrifices that you oh, yeah. make when you want to like enter your like professional life and take it really seriously. So for sure, I feel like making like some personal sacrifices like that, um, but also like finding new study habits, um, like flashcards, or, like different resources, and a lot of like repetition and studying to help me like remember things. So so neither Sid or I have done the medical school route. Uh, so we're I think what we're wondering kind of is like, you know, how much work is it to, you know, go through medical school? You were saying, you know, you have like on top of the sort of traditional medicine or the, the allopathic medicine, you have like this OMM to study. I'm kind of curious, like, uh, how many hours would you say per week you're dedicating to like studying, you know, you're getting ready for boards and stuff like this. You, you have exams. I don't know however often. You know, how, how much time is, are you putting into it? Like, do you have any time for anything else or? I, don't know. Um, I feel like first year, at least for our setup, not very much. So if we had say class from like eight to five every day or like 530, 
um, I would maybe take like an hour, hour and a half break to like cook and like have dinner. And then I would study until like nine, nine thirty, or 10, depending how tired I was. And then on the weekends, I would wake up early, probably get to the library at like seven or eight and then study until I was, I don't know, maybe like lunchtime or like mid afternoon. And then I could like take a break and it kind of depended from week to week. For board studying, that's a completely different animal that I'm not really going to get into right now because that's very different. Um, but I would say for first year, I would spend the majority of my time studying like in between like our big blocks or like exam weeks. And then after the big exams were done, I would get like a weekend breather. So I was pretty busy for the most part. So I, I guess what we're kind of wondering is, or what I'm wondering is, um, you know, what types of, so you're saying you like, almost were forced to pick up like new study habits right and I'm kind of wondering like you know how you stay motivated each day and like is there some sort of like because obviously you want to become a medical um, doctor right and so that's probably not your only motivation every day or maybe you have like micro motivations that help you each day so I'm kind of curious about that yeah yeah so I guess like for every topic that we studied I would try to like think of something personal to relate it to. So if we were studying about like the heart, I would try to like remember someone in my family that maybe had like a heart condition. Or if we were studying like diabetes or like endocrinology, like think about people that I knew personally that could be affected by it. And I always kind of told myself like, no matter what you're learning about, there's someone that you know, or like could know potentially that's going to be affected by it. Like not just your patients, but even someone like in your own circle that could be helped if you learn it the right way so I think that was very motivating for me just to like take it a little bit more personally and like add that value to it um that it wasn't just like arbitrary science or like a random bunch of facts but that it was supposed to ultimately help someone whether I knew them or not it's so, so kind of like an empathy motivation that's maybe yeah. what you could call it yeah and usually if I got like too burnt out or too like tired the next day I would try to be like, hey, this is really cool. And like this information is going to be really valuable for someone down the line. Do you do uh, like research or can you talk about like what you, uh, I know a lot of traditional yeah. doctors do like research on the side or, or in, as part of their profession. Um, mm -hmm. What, what are, you, are you involved in that or like are your classmates in your program? Yeah, you absolutely. Yeah, so research is a, is a pretty big deal in all medical schools and our students and people in my program are encouraged to do it as well. And that can be anything from like basic science, like bench work, like in like a wet lab or um, more often now when you're moving into like your third and fourth year of med school, you wanna do more clinical based research. So either writing up like a case report on something cool that you saw in the hospital or um, working with a resident on their like scholarly activity project because now pretty much every like residency program by accreditation standards, every person has to do a scholarly activity. And that's, you know, going to be like a, a poster or a survey or like quality improvement or something in like that clinical realm that's useful, like moving forward. Um, so yeah, I would say that by the time people finish med school or if not med school, definitely by the time they finish residency, they have done at least one at least one research type project. What, what, what was your research project? 
Um, so I actually did a gap year in between my undergrad and my year of med and starting med school. So I worked in a microbiome lab um, while I was while I'm in med school. I've been working on a couple of different things. So one of them was um, a survey on flu perceptions and the flu vaccine. I did that with like my public health club and like tried to just understand where like undergrads stand on it, um, medical students and like our kind of greater community here. So it's one thing I've worked on. Um, when I was uh, in my clinical rotations, I worked on a quality improvement project um, for the pediatric department. And we were trying to understand like how like using certain codes like correlated with like quality of care for patients and like certain pathways to put them on like treatment pathways for asthma. So I worked on that with a resident and a couple other medical students um, during my rotations. That's really neat. Um, do you think that that is something that you're going to continue with, like when you go into your resi residency and beyond, like in your career? Yeah, you, for that sure. Being part of your everyday activities. Yeah, um, I think it's hard for like every day, but I think the the quality improvement standpoint is really interesting because all of it's aimed towards like immediate improvement of care for patients. So if you see like a system that's not functioning well, or if you see like inconsistencies in like treatment because of some like logistical reason or like something in the infrastructure of that system, it could be interesting to like address that. Um, I don't think I would ever run like a research lab. Like I don't think I would go back to like working with mice or anything like that. Um, right. But for sure, like working with patients, um, and publishing case studies is like another way to like go about like scholarly activity. Um, but what is like the best piece of advice you've received throughout this whole like journey of applying and being in medical school? And let's say you're like, for our listeners who maybe, who knows, they're undergrads or motivated students in general, like the what neighborhood, is, right? Yeah, yeah, in the neighborhood, yeah. yeah. What is the best piece of advice you can offer them to pursue like a path like yours? I would say whatever you choose to do, do it with honesty and integrity. Because it doesn't matter if you are scoring the 99th percentile or the 50th percentile of your boards. It doesn't matter if you had a 3.9 GPA or a 3.7, but people can tell the difference in those that are honest and that truly care and do things genuinely versus people that put on a show or doing things to try to get ahead of other people. Um, and that's something I think the more and more I go through my years of med school and as I'm looking to apply to residency, it's like everyone has like more or less the same boards. You either passed or you didn't. And like what stands out is like the personal statement or like your true qualities and like how you interact with people. Um, and I feel like if the more that you can like maintain that about yourself and like continue to practice that and like treat other people, you know, with respect and integrity, um, like the farther that you'll get and the more that people will want to interact with you and they will want you to be their doctor. Yeah. I know in, in, well, in any profession, but especially in medicine, yeah. like your reputation is, is everything. Cause that's how you get business and that's how you get, that's how you build you know, that rap for it with patients. Yeah, so exactly. It takes, takes a lifetime to build your reputation, but a couple seconds to shred it. So yeah. Wise words. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're <laughs> preaching, you're preaching over here. So yeah, I think basically we've sort of 
you know, gone over this stigma, you know, and I think that's sort of really the main thing I wanted to address in this is sort of educating people and in myself, I was learning about it, like during this process of like preparing for this interview, um, you know, like sort of educating people on what, uh, you know, DOs are for people that don't know who they are, right? Um, what that is, and then, you know, why in some cases you may want to, you know, pursue that career field versus an MD. Um, and so I think, I don't know, do you think, I don't know. Do you think we've done a good enough job here today? I, I don't think know. We've, we've broad stroked a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think if we were to get into the weeds, we would probably, maybe like this could be part two coming up, but we could talk more about like logistics of med school and like preclinical versus clinical years and stuff. But that's very oh, like, yeah. that's very like minute compared to the, the greater concept of like, if you want to be a doctor, like at the end of the day, no one's going to look at the two letters after your name. You're either going to be a good doctor or a bad doctor. And they right. care about like how you treat them. I'm going to be a doctor at the end of the day. And I'm going to do that with, you know, respect and integrity for the people around me and my patients. Um, and I hope that carries me forward. I hope that I like do that justice. Um, but I think that if you're considering medicine and you're kind of torn, or if you feel like, you shouldn't apply because of stigma, I would say, you know, try to dispel all of that and just stay true to like why you want to pursue it. Like what do you really want at the end of the day? And if that's to help people, then going down the osteopathic route is a really good option. Well, yeah. I mean, thanks for doing this interview. Yeah. I think you uh, taught us both a lot about osteopathic medicine and about work ethic and stuff like that. So I <laughs> You know, I'm happy that you did this and we had to talk yeah, to you. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for sharing your experience. Well, thanks for having me. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, thanks to uh, our listeners for joining the second episode of the In the Neighborhood podcast. Um, this is now, we're putting this, we're broadcasting this through Anchor, uh, which is an online platform, and also Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. And uh, eventually, I think we're going to try to get it on Stitcher and iTunes. But right now, it's just on Spotify. Also on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And the main platform, I would say, is YouTube. And, uh, and like and subscribe and share with, yeah. with other people as, as you, as you Yeah, see. yeah. Yeah, definitely like and subscribe. Um, you know, watch our, other, our first podcast, too. And we're going to keep coming out with these every Monday um, at 8 p.m. So uh, stay tuned for more. Anyway, yep, thanks for joining In the Neighborhood. Uh, this is your host, Nate, and, and our guest, and our host, and our host, Sid, and uh, our guest, Christy. I'm Sid. That's um, <laughs> Sid, yeah. This has got to be uh, it. <laughs> and then this was In the Neighborhood. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. See you guys.